So worship comes from the, the, uh, the spirit of truth. We, we, we looked at, um, we looked at uh, Romans, uh, John chapter 4 and it says, Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so we recognize that the spirit of a man is the motivation that which drives him and it's the spirit of Jesus within him that actually draws you to God and he speaks truth to your life and he develops this true worshipful attitude of heart. And we looked at the motivations over the last few weeks, the motivations of love and of life and of truth. And they came from the chapter 8 in John where we looked at three instances where Jesus showed us those three motivations. The first was the motivation of love where he, um, he um, forgave the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and, uh, and showed what r- real love really was. You know, it was principled, but at the same time it was very merciful. There was a balance between the truth and a balance between uh, relational aspects of love. So we can, we've talked about that. It's also, we looked at John chapter 8 and he said, um, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world and he who follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And we looked at our lives and what it was like to be a cockroach or to be uh, an orchid living in the light. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to be an awkward, not a cockroach. A cockroach runs away from the light. A cockroach runs to hide in the dark. And we don't want to be cockroaches, do we? We want to be full of light. Uh, and then he says in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus is the source of the truth. So he says, so Jesus was saying to them, who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so the motivation of knowing the truth is a motivation of heart. The motivation of love is a motivation of heart. The motivation of light is a motivation of heart. And they all come together to bring us into a place of true worship before God, which is true communication with God. So when you get re- we, uh, when we need to re-establish our heart before God and actually set up true worship again, we're always going to have a battle on our hands. One of the the biggest problems is to change. One of the biggest tr- problems in life is to actually change to to change from what we were to what God wants us to be. That process is always difficult and as soon as you start to take that process seriously and say, I I want to change in my life, I want things to change in my life, as soon as you do that, you're going to run into a battle of of severe proportions. Incredible proportions because there's an enemy out there who does not want any change in your life, who actually has set himself up to make sure you don't change. He set you up so that you are entrapped, that you get caught by your bad choices and your bad thinking and he, he chains you up. The Bible says he's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill and to destroy in John chapter 10 verse 10. So his motivation is to completely take you undone and make you destroyed. And so if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to find that Jesus is going to have to break the chains and then you're going to have to start to move out. Now when you look at the book of Ezra, it's an interesting book because what you have there is you have the people of Ezra... um, the people in Ezra's time were caught in Babylonia. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah had prophesied, if you keep on walking the way you're going, if you keep on doing the things that you're doing, God is going to give you up and the king of Babylonia is going to come and he's going to take you away and you're going to be captive for 70 years. That was prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. And they just kept on doing what they wanted to do. They, they didn't listen to the voice, voice of the prophetic word that came to them through Jeremiah. They refused to hear Jeremiah's prophetic voice. And when they didn't listen to him, of course, whatever happens when the prophetic is given, it usually is fulfilled. 
And then God says, okay, if you don't stop what you're doing in seven, you're going to go and you're going to be captive for 70 years in Babylon. That's exactly what happened. So they lived in Babylonia for 70 years. They were a captive. They were slaves to the Babylonians. King Nebuchadnezzar had come and taken them and, and locked them up and, and caused their lives to be a pain. And during that time, King, David, uh, King uh, Daniel came onto the, uh, onto, the, um, onto the scene and he recognized that it was about time, about the 70 years, that they were to return back to uh, the land of Israel. And so he began to pray. At that same time, he knew that there was a scripture in Isaiah that was given about 400 years prior that the king Cyrus was going to come. The Medes, the king Cyrus was the king of the Medes and the Persians and he was going to come and he was going to overcome the Babylonians. And that's exactly what happened. The Cyrus, King Cyrus, and he was named in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah said, okay, God, what do you want me to write down here? And God said to Isaiah, my chosen king, King Cyrus, who's of the Medes and the Persian, is going to redeem my people and let my people go back to... Now, that was 400 years before King Cyrus even came. So when they're in Babylon and they're caught there and King Cyrus comes through, they just go to King Cyrus and say, King, um, our holy book that was written 400 years ago got your name in it. Now, which one of you wouldn't want to look? They showed him the prophecy and hit with, the Bible tells us in Ezra that his heart was stirred up by the Holy Spirit. The heart, his heart was stirred up by God to release the people back to the land of which they came. So he, he made a decree, he says, Every, everybody who can and who wants to go back to Israel, it's time for you to go back. He was about to restore them back to their home. Up. They were about to reestablish worship. Their broken lives were going to be put together again. Because the prophetic word had been uttered. Their broken lives were going to... But there's always, when you come to uh, change, when you come to go back to where you've come from or back home, to the thing that you missed out on, when you start to clean the house and when you start to confront the horde that's around you, you, you've got a battle on your hand that you've got to reckon with. So we're going to look at this idea first of coming home. Put yourself in the position where you're caught in Babylonia. You decide that you don't want to stay there. Some of your mates are going to stay there. There's uh, guys who are cupbearers to the king. Nehemiah decided to hang around. He was going to stay with the king. He wasn't going to go back to Israel. There are other people who decided they were going to stay back, but a whole, a whole horde of them decided they were going to go back to Israel. They were going to go back with the treasures that the king had given them. They are going to go back and they were going to rebuild Israel again. It had been destroyed. And so they had to travel from where they were to where they were going. And I want to make this very clear for you, that if you decide to return to where you had something in God that you have lost, you're going to have to travel some distance. You just don't get there like that. I mean, salvation is a bit like that. You know, you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? And immediately you can sense in your spirit once you've prayed that prayer and asked Jesus to come into your heart, you can sense that you have come into a new place. Your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says you, the first testimony of that would be the Holy Spirit inside you testifying and witnessing that you're born of God. Then you'd have a notice that as you're going through the week, your conscience has been cleansed from dead works to serve a living God. And you will discover that your conscience won't, it's not happy with the things that you used to do. And it will bear witness that you have a different life now. You've got different morality on the inside. So you notice the change pretty well instantaneously once you get saved. But when you backslider when you go away because of rebellion you got some traveling back to home 
The prodigal son shows us that. He's gone off and he's partying in the city and he's way in the city having a wonderful time and all the, the famine breaks out and he, he's got nothing to eat and he comes to his senses, he's repentant, he comes to his senses that he says, I've got to go back home. So coming to your senses is one thing. Recognising that you're not where you sh- should be, that there's a place where you should be and I can remember what it was like when I first got saved. I can remember what were that... And where you are now, you notice the gap, you've got to travel that gap. It's like God doesn't pick you up there and say, oh, you're just coming, I'll just put you over there. He says, now, you walked away, it's your turn to walk back now. So there's some way to travel. And I suppose we have to recognise that, that that's an important thing in our lives when it comes to our lives before God. If we move away from God, we're told in Revelations to do the deeds that we did in the beginning, to move back to where we once were, to move back to what we once had in God so that God can start to move in our lives. I suppose when you get home and this crowd of people decided they'd travel back to Jerusalem, so they picked up all their gear and they they unsettled themselves. They left where they were. If you're out of touch with God and you know that you have to get back to God, you have to leave where you are. You cannot stay with one foot in the world and one foot in God and say, well, I'll see if I can just walk this line here. That won't work. You have to leave the land of Babylonia and you have to move into Jerusalem. You have to move into the land of, Egypt, uh, into the land of Israel and you have to take up a habitation there, which means you have to unsettle yourself. How many people like unrest? Didn't think so. How many people like uh, change? One of the big things we hate in life is change. One of the big things we hate is things when they're uneasy and it's not restful. We like comfort. We like things to be the same. We like predictability. We like everything to happen just like it normally is. But if you're in the wrong place and you get comfortable in the wrong place, you've got to shake yourself up to get into a new place. And that requires you to recognise change has got to take place. Everything's on the table. You have to learn to change things in your life. That means everything that's going on in your life, you have to think about and say, is that where I should be? And if it's not, then you say, well, that's got to go. Is that where I've got to be? No, that's not, I've got to go. Then what about this? Is this where, that's okay. That's not a bad thing. So I'll just leave that there. But you've got to move with God and shake yourself up to move from the place of Babylonia into the land of Israel. When you get to Israel, you discover something. It's full of ruins. It's not like you're going to go back to a place where it's all nice and set up. Oh, no, no, just, just, just fit back in here nice. You know, the temple's all set up and my house is all where, just the way it was. It's all been wrecked. The whole place has been destroyed. You've got to set up a new place for yourself and you've got to lay new foundations in your life. And so that takes some cost. The Bible tells us that they had to give of their own pockets and they gave money for the rebuilding of the, of the temple. Ezra came in and they gave money to him and they gave money for the, for the stonemasons, they gave money for the carpenters, they gave money to, to produce something. Why? Because it's going to cost you something to re-establish something in your life that was good, that was broken down. It's going to cost you something. Now I'm not asking for your money because it's not me who needs your money. You have to understand that the cost is you are going to have to pay something to get to where you've got to be from where you are now. It's going to cost you something and it might not be pleasant. It might be, you know what, I used to go out every Friday night. I remember when God dealt with me that I used to go out every Friday night for party night. It was Friday night, it was party night. It wasn't youth night, it was party night. 
For me, that was the way I lived. I got to the door, put my hand on the doorknob, and God, God said to me, you can't go out tonight. Stay at home and read the word. Well, there's a cost involved. What's the cost? I'm not going to party tonight. Oh, but I want to party. My flesh wants to party. I'll go and see if I can pick up a chicky babe. You know, why don't I want to party. You know, go and get some drink and have some smokes and meet my mates. I want to party. And the Holy Spirit says, you've got to change. It's going to cost you something. Well, it costs you. Because when I walk in, I got money in my pocket now because I didn't go and party. But it cost me the pain of saying no to myself. Everybody say no. Everybody say no again. No. Now say it as though you really mean it. No. no. Uh, yeah. Now you've got to learn to say no to yourself because everything inside of you wants to go and go back to Babylonia. Go back and keep the same thing going. But it's the no inside of you is the cost that says you have to make the cost to build up what you had lost. Now you know that it's going to take some time to build it back up again. So you've got to put the, put the thing in there and say, I'm going to have to start laying my first deposit in my God-given bank and I'm going to start putting the money away so that I can get what God, I lost it when I, when I walked away from God. And it takes some time. Doesn't come back straight up. You can feel the, 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 the forgiveness of God. You can feel the love of Jesus in your life. You can feel the grace of God on you immediately. That's fine. But the dis- disciplines and the godly character and the, all those things are going to have to be laid again in your life. You're going to have to come against the same things that, that took you away. They're going to ask you to take you away again. And this time you're going to have to say no to them. All of those challenges that you gave into before are going to come and present themselves to you again. And you're going to have to say to them, no, they're not going to go away. It's not like you are oh, just went and sin for a little while out here and that's okay. And then I come back, I say, come back to Jesus and it'll be fine. Okay, I'm sorry, Jesus, forgive me. And they say, don't bring any more sin or any temptation to me because he says it's all coming back your way the thing that took you away is going to come back to you and knock on your door again and this time you're going to make a different choice than the choice you made the first time you're going to say no you're going to say no to sin and yes to God gee that hurts Mark do you know what that's like for me do you know what that's like saying no to something I want to do well, I'm just like a spoiled child. I, just, I want to do it. I want to do it. Give me, give me, give me. You're asking me to say no, not some external person to me say no. Yeah, I'm asking the intrinsic motivation of the Holy Spirit to guide you so you establish no on the inside without somebody saying, you know, I would not do that. You should not do that. Christians don't do that. I want the Spirit of Jesus inside of you to rise up inside of you and say, Okay, it's no with me, Jesus, and no with you, so it's no to the devil. It costs you something. Cleaning house always costs you something. It costs you time and effort. It just doesn't come easily. And confronting the horde once you get there is the big problem. There's two words for horde. One means it's a big pile of money shoved away in the, in the back room somewhere, and there's a horde as in an unruly group of people, and that's just spelt that way, horde. A horde of people. One of the things I've noticed that uh, the devil often does is that when you actually want to move for God, he, does, he can hit you with temptation, but that doesn't really work. What he does is he sends people along, a person along, someone along, 
Someone who will come and talk to you. Someone who will come and share their lives with you. Someone who will come and walk beside you for a little while. That someone will not be there because they have a godly intent. That someone will come along because they are going to test your godly intent. They're going to try and find out whether you really are serious about this or whether you are just playing it. And you're going to have to confront personalities and and people in your progress forward if you want to get back to where God is. It's usually the personalities and the people that are actually taking you away from it. Come on, let's have another drink. Oh, for old times' sake, Phil, let's go. Let's have another. We'll have a beer, mate. You know, we used to drink beer. Now come back to the valley where you used to drink and let's go back there and have a... Why don't we, Phil? Oh, I like that. She was my old flame. You know, why wouldn't... Well, you know, it's really tempting there. It's a no from Jesus and a no from Phil and we don't go there. But it's come from a person who somehow sneaks on and grabs your heart and tries to get you that way, to draw you in. It's people. And it was the same for the Jews when they got there. There was the inhabitants of the land who weren't Jewish, who were sort of like, they said they were God-fearing, but they said, you know, Ezra, we know you want to rebuild the temple. We know that the king has told you to rebuild the temple, to set it all up and to move into the place and take the thing that you've been destroyed, take it and build it again. We want to give you a hand. And why did they want to give them a hand? Because the intent was if we get alongside them and work, we can actually frustrate their working. And you know, as Ezra said, and if you read through the book, he said, Ezra says, you're not going to touch this. We are going to do the building. This is my job. Not your job. You're not going to build with me. I'm going to build this thing up. You are not going to help. So he wouldn't let them get involved with the work because they weren't Jewish. They were something else. And he stopped them. And in stopping them, he made an enemy. Well, they were already his enemy, but they were cloaked before. They were, they were just sitting under there. They say, we're your friends. We'll work along with you. And he said, no, you're not going to work because you're not with us. You're obviously not with us because you're not a Jew, so you can't be here with us. And they said, well, you know what? We're your enemy then. And so they sent a letter. They sent a letter back to the king, King Artaxerxes. Now, the latter was saying, you know, these rebellious Jews are going to start to build this temple again. And if you look back in history, you'll find out that these people are really rebellious and they're going to take their money and they're not going to give you any money and they're going to cause troubles and they're going to rebel against the king and they're going to cause the king great, great loss in terms of his treasury and pain in terms of his whole disposition. So they sent this letter to King Artaxerxes. Now, I went and studied about King Artaxerxes because his name means he will make the spoil to boil. And I thought, well, what is that? Anyway, I couldn't find any reason for why his name meant he would make the spoil to boil. You know how times you're looking for something and it wasn't there? But what I did find was very interesting. Right when they sent the letter to King Artaxerxes, the king that had taken the place of Cyrus, which was his son, had been killed by an imposter. And that imposter, was, he reigned for three years, and that letter was received by the imposter. He was, he was sprung by one of his wives who said, that's not the man, that's someone else. He was a Magian he was a, of a different breed. And guys came and they killed him after three years. They executed him for his imposter. But the letter that they sent to the king out of Xerxes ended up in this imposter's hand. He was the usurper of the throne. They wanted to get something from the king 
to tell him to stop. And the king, who was the usurper to the throne, Guatemala, his name was, he sent a letter, he says, you know, I looked through the, um, I looked through the history and what you're saying about these things, is, these people is true. He was a good accuser of the brethren. He stood there and he says, they are rebellious people and they are wayward people and yeah, you need to stop the building right now. And straight away the enemies came along with force and they were, the king says you have to stop, you can't get and build. So it's like Cyrus said build. The next guy, which was meant to be his son, which wasn't his son because his son was killed, which was an imposter, said stop building. And they stopped building. Straight away. They walked away. And it must have been for a couple of years that they stopped building. Then the Spirit of God came upon Haggai and came upon, um, who was the other guy? There was another guy there. And they prophesied to them and they said to them, you need to start building and build the, 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 the temple again. And straight away a guy called Zerubbabel said, I'm in for that. And he got up his gear and he started and he laid the foundation stones and started building again. Now this was really, really dangerous stuff. They, they had been given a command by the king who was over the land that they didn't know was an imposter, but they'd given, been given that, that godless prophetic stop that confronted their prophetic go and they had stopped. And now they were going to say, like the apostles said in the book of Acts, should we serve God or man? And they confronted that. And Zerubbabel and Jeshua, he stood up and they started to build again. Why? Because it's always wise to listen to the voice of the prophetic. They recognized it was not listening to the voice of the prophetic that got them into the problems in the first place. When God spoke to them by the Holy Spirit and they, they disobeyed the Holy Spirit and disobeyed what God was saying to them, they ended up in a place of imprisonment they ended up in in bondage they ended up in babylon now when the the holy spirit is spoken again through the prophets and he's telling them to build even though the king says don't build they've learned the lesson they've learned that you need to do what god tells you to do in spite of who's against you you need to confront the horde and say i'm doing what god's telling me to do not what anybody else is going to tell me to do i am going to do what the prophetic voice is telling me to do they did exactly the same thing as what you are asked by paul to do it says, put off the old self. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is created in Christ Jesus. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. Put to death fornication and all these things. Put them to death. Get rid of them out of your life and, and, and devote yourself to the things that God causes you to devote yourself. You have to say no to one area and yes to the other. And why? Because God said it. God said it. The prophetic has to be followed. God's word has to be obeyed. If you want to reestablish a new place in your life and worship before God, the very thing that's going to come at you is people telling you you don't have to do what the Bible says. Friends telling you you don't have to listen to it. People telling you that there's a higher authority that says that what God says is rubbish. 
They'll come to you through the education, through the university and say, we have learned now that the Bible is just a mythological book. It has no truth in it. And they'll present themselves as the usurp, usurper of authority and they'll tell you that believing in God is nigh on wicked and dangerous because so much damage is done in society because people who believe in God. And they'll tell you all the wars that happen in the name of God and how many people were killed in the name of God. And they'll quite comfortably forget 50 million people died in the secular communism in Russia and under communism in China. Another 50 million people, 100 million people, more people died in communist China and communist Russia than ever died in the, in the times beforehand under, under a godless regime. They'll forget that. And they'll say, we have the wisdom now. We know that the fact is that evolution is the fact. And they'll tell and they'll present them. I want to say something to you. That's the usurper of authority. He's taken the throne for a little while. His execution day is coming. Jesus is reigning. Jesus is in control. And it's time, friends, to, to listen, not listen to the rubbish that's coming into your head from people who are around you. It's time to get back to the Word of God. It's time to... Pay a price to do with the things that you had to do. You know, the, the, in, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, uh, John is given a vision of, of, of the seven churches. And he, and he comes to the church of Ephesus and he says to the church of Ephesus, you know, you know you're doing pretty well. I've, I've, I looked at all the things you've done. He says, but I've just got this one thing against you. He says, you have left your first love. That time, you know, that way we were when we first got saved and our hearts were really connected to Jesus and we felt that sense of, oh, Jesus is so close. He says, you've forgotten that, you left that. He says, you're just doing the stuff now. You're just in chains and in bondage. You're just doing the routine, you know. You're not really in contact with God. You're not really in touch with Jesus. And then he says, he says do the deeds that you did in the beginning. Everybody say that. Do the deeds. That I did in the beginning. What was it like for you when you first gave your heart to Jesus or you first recognized that the truth had just dawned on your life and that the light had come and it was time for you to move forward in Jesus? What did you start to do? Did you pick up that Bible and read it avidly? Did you pick it up and start to read it? And, and did, you, did you get so excited about the Word? I can remember loving the Word of God so much so that, that I just... I just, I look at the book and I just said, mm. it was like, oh, just, oh, I just love it so much, you know, and I want to take it everywhere I went. And I would read it and I'd underline it and, and I, everything was so powerful. The book of Genesis was completely underlined, everything in it. I went back to my first Bible, I can take you to it, I can show you my first Bible. And the first book of the book, everything I read in the book of Genesis I thought was great and I overlined it with a blue texture and it was all, this is just on a blue page now, it was, everything was underlined, it was, I was alive, everything spoke to me. That was what it was like in the beginning. What did I do? Well I just I listened to it and I learned it and then I wanted to memorise it. Memorising scripture. Ah. Oh. Did you do another five this week? Half of a psalm. You did a whole half a psalm. Wow. I've got to listen to it later. <laughs> That's great, Lily. 
But I got into the Word. I started memorizing Scripture. I'd, I'd learn a Scripture a day, you know. And then after 30 days, I had 30 Scriptures under my belt. It was just wonderful, you know. It was like I had the Word of God. It was active and alive. And I just wanted to communicate. And I would share it. I, I, I started doing prophecies. You know, I was sitting in youth group. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, God, I want to move out in prophecy because it says desire to prophesy. And I can remember the youth group going there. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, oh, gee, I want to prophesy. I've got this words in my head and there's no time to do it. No one's stopping. And wait, do I speak it now or not speak it now? I'm getting, oh, it's really uncomfortable having the, this prophecy inside. I think God wants to say something. Mm, I don't know. And then it all goes quiet. And I think, it's all quiet. What shall I do? Shall I just sort of sit here and be, and he says, speak it now. And I open my mouth and I just, oh, God would want us to, and I just said it. And I'm just, oh, I said, a new place. He says, do the deeds that you did in the beginning. You see, you can always gauge where you are spiritually if you compare yourself to where you've come from. When you first say, what was it like? What were, you, what were you really like? Or was it just a general burn, a gentle burn for you? If it was a gentle burn, just keep on going because you're going to be hotter than you did at the beginning. But if it was, you're hot, now you've gone cold, I'll tell you something. Shake yourself. Get out of bondage. Make a plan to, to go home. Get back to where you used to be. Get back to, you know, make a plan to pay the price. Confront the horde. Lay, clean the house. Get ready. God has a plan for you. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to pray and ask God to help us with this today. Help us to enact this in our lives. It's not enough. I want to, I want to pray for those who, who are here that sense that they've drifted somewhere from where they should have been. They're not right where they should be. Put your hand up if you're not exactly where you should be, that you think you need to get back to what it was like in the beginning. Put your hand up if that's the case. Don't be embarrassed about that. That's part of the cost, part of the price. Okay, I recognize I need to move from where I am to where God wants me to be. That's good. Now, that means that you have to take a journey, take a travel. You have to travel somewhere. It means you're going to have to do something this week. God's going to explain that to you. He's going to explain exactly what you're going to have to do. He's going to, have, he's going to challenge you and your conscience about what you're doing. And he's going to have you move from there, get back to what you were doing. Get back to where you were. And you're going to have to clean the house because you collected stuff which is not good. You're practicing stuff that's not good. You're thinking stuff that you're not going to clean house. You've got to get that stuff out. It's going to cost you something to do that. And you're going to have to lay that foundation. And the devil's going to come knocking on your door because he doesn't like what, what's happening in your life. And you're going to have a battle. So I'm going to pray for you right now that you'll be strong in Jesus' name. Take each other's hand. Hold each other's hands. Dear Lord Jesus, I just pray for those who've indicated that they are not where they feel that they should be in you, that they, they need to move somewhere out of what they've slipped into, Father, into your light, into your love, into your truth, Lord Jesus. Lord, I would pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would do a quickening work in their lives, Father, and so much build the strength within them, Father, to take that journey home in Jesus' name. Father, forgive them for their sins. Forgive them for their shortcomings, Father. We thank you that your righteousness and your holiness is over their lives right now, Father. Help them to clean house, Lord Jesus. Show them the things they need to be leaving out of their house, Father. The things that need to go because they're not of you, Father. Show them very clearly in the next week, Father, in the next coming days, those things that are not helping their walk with you, Father. And give them the strength and the, the, strength and the fortitude, Father, to move them out, Father. To push them away from themselves and to 
cleanse their lives, Father, from those things that corrupt them and defile. Let them put them to death, Father, and turn their hearts to you and be renewed in the spirit of their minds, Lord Jesus, and clothe them with Jesus, I pray. Clothe them with Jesus all over them, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, and when the hordes come, when the demonic voice comes, Father, when the people come that are going to try and lead them astray, Father, we bind it in Jesus' name. We take authority over that in the name of Jesus and we come against the motivation behind that, which is to kill, to steal and destroy, Father. And we pray that you'll give them light and wisdom and strength and power, Father, to resist the devil and see him flee in Jesus' name. We ask, oh God, that your hand rests mightily upon them, Father, that you will cause them to rebuild the stones that they had taken down, Father, and demolished, Father, that their lives would be uh, built up as living stones before you, Father, and that they would bring praise to you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Thank you, Jesus.